Well, I hope you had a good week. You're closer this week. It's a good week in our household. Um, we actually got to talk to, we got to see two of our children and got to talk to all four. We even Skyped with our son in South America last night, so uh, it's always good to know that your children are well, right? So, I want to first, first say, I'll get this out of the way quickly, I'm deeply sorry about last Sunday running over time. Um, I've never taught a series on the Apostles' Creed, and sometimes I just get so wrapped up into it. I know it's hard for you to imagine. <laughs> Lost track of time. And I put, I put uh, Brian in a terrible bind last Sunday by going late, so um, I'm going to be really good today, I promise. So, uh, so I'm really sorry about that. We'll try not to let that happen more than once a month. Um, so we are in the Apostles' Creed, and um, today the phrase is uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Okay. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And this phrase tries to hold together uh, what the whole creed tries to hold together, particularly in the second article, but we already saw it in the first. Um, and that is this notion that in some mysterious way, and all we can do is confess it, right? This is a confession. All we can do is bear witness to this mystery that Jesus himself, who we confess at the beginning part of the second article of the Creed, right? Jesus Christ, our Lord, Son of God, that he is both fully God and fully human. Now, to be clear, um, we love talking about hybrids in our culture. We have hybrid everything, right? We have hybrid cars. We have, you know, part electric, part gas. Uh, Jesus is not 50-50, okay? He's not like 50% human 50% God. He's not kind of a demigod. Um, the Christian confession is that Jesus is fully human. And yet he is in some way, as we said last week, fully God. He is the one. He is the human being through whom we have come closest to the presence of God. We can't explain that Right? I can't explain that. We bear witness to that. This is part of the confession. It's why we stand and say the creed. And it's interesting that uh, across time, um, depending on what circles that you might run in, uh, there are different, uh, certainly Roman Catholics, some Episcopalians, some Lutherans. Um, when they come to this phrase in the creed, they'll often be a gesture. Often the sign of the cross will be made when this particular phrase, sometimes it will be uh, bowing, a genuflection. Okay? Um, just as an act of humility 
and wonder towards this great mystery that stands at the heart of our faith that we call the incarnation, right? The incarnation that God comes into our world, takes on human flesh. It's, it's incredible. I mean, some, some hymns uh, get at this. Some ancient uh, fathers get at that when they say that uh, the, the one who could not be contained is contained in the womb. The timeless enters time. Right? This is the mystery of which we speak. And you see both of these things witnessed to in this phrase, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So let's take both of them and see if we can hold these two things together. And just, just to re remind you that if you find it hard to hold these two things together, uh, you're in good company. Okay, you're in very good company. Um, in fact, most of the, the earliest heresies about Jesus, when a heresy is just people who, who taught and thought things, which over time the church had to say, that's outside the bounds of what we're confessing. Right? These were good people. Right? These were uh, Christian peoples who, who loved God, who loved Jesus, who were trying to figure things out. They weren't like really bad people. We think heresy. I mean, we, we kind of joke about heresy around, around here. Like, are you a heretic? Like, that's almost like a joke. Um, but in the early days of the church, we're trying to sort through what is it that God has actually done in and through Jesus um, and trying to be careful about how to say this. I mean, we've already come across one of the, the challenges. I mean, when Jason was here talking about the Shema, right, this ancient Jewish affirmation, right? The Lord your God is one God. And the early Christian people, early followers of Jesus, who were Jews, found themselves worshiping Jesus. Now that's a problem, right? So what's going on? You're, you're worshiping Jesus as a Jew. So several times a day you're saying the Shema, the Lord your God is one God. And yet this human being who you confess was raised from the dead, you are now offering, you've You've confessed him as Lord, right? Which is the Jewish name for God. So you've got some, you've got some explanation to do, right? Um, so we haven't yet, and I don't know. We keep, we're trying not to make this whole class an explanation of the Trinity. Because the early church didn't try to explain the Trinity. It confessed that God was in some way three at, while remaining one. You and I think of, at least I do, um, a lot of Christians are sort of semi-embarrassed about the Trinity. I mean, it just seems like we're really bad mathematicians, right? Three and one, one is three. Like, have to pick one or the other. Is it three or is it one? No, it's three and one. 
Um, it's like, well, you know, how's that work? And we come up with all kinds of analogies and we're kind of embarrassed and it, it seems like a problem for Christians. And it is, you know, a lot of our interfaith conversations circle around this, right? A lot of reasons Jews have trouble with Christians, a lot of reasons that Muslims have disagreements with Christians is around the Trinity, right? Because uh, those are the two great other monotheistic uh, religions. But just to remind ourselves, I mean, the early Christians developed the doctrine of the Trinity not to create a problem for us. They were trying to get out of a problem, right? They weren't trying to create a problem. They were trying to solve this question of how do we give an account of why it is we're worshiping Jesus? So just to kind of remind ourselves, and, and this notion that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and the early heresies were people who fell one side or the other. We've already sort of alluded to it, right? People who thought Jesus was just a really, really good human. Um, but that's all he was, right? Maybe the best human that ever lived. Um, and this took lots of different forms. Sometimes it took what's sometimes called adoptionism, which was at some point in Jesus' life, God adopted Jesus as God's son, right? But he still was just fully human. He just happened to be the best human that ever lived. And the church had to say, you know, that's not quite what we're saying, right? We appreciate you exalting him as the best human ever, but that's not exactly what we're saying. We're saying more than that. And then we said, we've already alluded to the other side. Remember the early, one of the early heresies was that people thought Jesus was not human at all. He just appeared to be human. Um, and he had to go through, these were people like, the, we talked about docetism that one week. I know you forgot that word. I did ask you to say it, not because I thought you'd remember it. But you know, that he just appeared to be human, but he was really sort of God pretending to be human just taking on flesh. And, and people, he went so far as to say, and of course he didn't die. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Uh, actually, somebody else took his place. It might have been Simon of Cyrene, what some of the legends go, right? Um, so all kinds of contortions. But all that's to say, lots of early Christians, people who thought they were followers of Jesus, had a hard time holding these two things together. So... All that's to say, I'm not trying to say if you can't hold it together that you are, you know, certifiable heretic. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying you are in good company for 2,000 years who had a hard time holding these two things together. So, but we see these two things, again, being tried to held together in this one phrase in the creed. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, there's the action of God, right? Conceived, Jesus' origins is in God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Mary again, just like we mentioned when Jesus was named early on, right? Mary is named a, a historical figure, flesh and blood human being. So Jesus' origins, I mean, he... In some way, he comes from God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he takes flesh, takes flesh by means of Mary, a human being. Okay. Both those things are true. 
and we're trying to hold those together. Now, what's trying to be said in these two phrases? Uh, I think the first thing to say is that the creed is trying to say something other than what some of the ancient Greek and Roman mythology was, which, I mean, it was not unusual in, in, the, in Greek mythology, Roman mythology, to have gods who impregnated, often raped, if we're honest, that's the way the stories went, human women, right? And gave birth to ancient Greek and Roman heroes. Okay. That's not what's being narrated here, either in scripture or in the creed. Let's just remind you, I know it's not Christmas time yet, I know, we get nervous when people start putting up Halloween decorations in July, um, let alone Christmas stuff in you know September. But at the risk of jumping the gun, you know the creeds for all year round, and just remind ourselves the creed is rooted in Scripture, right? We have this this story that we often call the Annunciation in Luke chapter one which is not primarily about, it is about Mary, but it's, it's about Jesus, about Jesus, this miracle that we call the incarnation. And in verse 26 of chapter 1, let's just remind you how it goes. Once you start, it's like you find yourself transported to you know, Christmas Eve or something when they're reading all the Christmas texts, right? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The thing to try to keep your head around when it comes to conceived by the Holy Spirit is to be reminded of something that United Methodists shouldn't have to be reminded of very often, and that is that God is always the initiator. Right? It's what we call prevenient grace 
in Methodist circles, right? That God's grace is always ahead of us. Um, anything that human beings do is graced by God. Uh, you can't get out ahead of God, right? God's always ahead of you uh, and making possible whatever it is that humans do. And here we have this moment that Christians confess changes all of history. And it's at this moment that we call the Annunciation that we begin to see it set in motion. I was struck when I was traveling in Italy this past summer, particularly in Florence, in looking at the great art of the West, how fixated artists have been um, on the Annunciation. Uh, it is uh, perhaps the most um, artistically rendered scene uh, in the New Testament. It was kind of shocking. You might, you might think it might be, you know, manger scenes. It's actually Annunciation is incredibly prevalent. And we don't really think about that much. Um, or we don't put that much emphasis on it, but it's because this, you don't have the manger scene, you don't have the crucifixion, you don't have the resurrection. If God doesn't come in the flesh, and this gets announced to Mary, and not just announced, right? Mary has the opportunity to consent, right? Mary is not just told, um, sorry, I mean, we have no idea how old she is. We're guessing like 14, right? 12 to 14 is when young Jewish women were typically betrothed in that culture. So um, I know we tend to imagine Mary older than that, um, but probably not. Probably a young pubescent girl, right? And God doesn't, through the angel, doesn't show up and say, um, sorry, we're getting ready to ruin your life. Um, it's going to be scandalous. Um, you're going to have to try to explain to people that you're having a son, but you're a virgin. That's going to be a hard sell. Um, right? Everyone's going to roll their eyes at you. I mean, she gets... I mean, some of the ancient church says that the, the heavens sort of hold their breath at this moment. And Mary consents and says, be, be it unto me according to your word. And so, I mean, God, God is not, the God revealed in Jesus Christ is, is not coercive. God does not force Mary to bear the Son of God, right? To be the one from whom God takes flesh. So conceived by the Holy Spirit points to this mystery that says God initiates this. This son in your womb is there by the act of God. Should you receive it? Should you welcome 
this miracle into your womb. And that's a reminder that, you know, you have to kind of think again of the history where in, in Mary's time and long before and maybe even up into ours until relatively recently, it was, I mean, you can't read scripture without thinking that certainly women are present. But how many cultures have there been where men were the movers and shakers of the world? Right? Um, and here, when God deigns to take on human flesh, Joseph gets a visit from an angel in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, he's certainly going to have a part in raising Jesus. But the conception of the Son of God will take part apart from men. Right. Um, for those of us um, who think of ourselves as Mr. Fix-It, um, we were not uh, asked to fix this most human problem. Which is kind of interesting when you think about it, right? Um, you can imagine, uh, as people have since then, saying, well, if you go back to Genesis and read that first story, you know, it was, it was Eve that kind of messed things up, right? Um, so she was the weak one. And so maybe when we go to fix it, we ought to let the men do it. I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to create tension in the room between the men and the women. I'm just trying to say culturally this is shocking. Right? Culturally this is shocking. That when God takes human flesh, God sends a clear message. This miracle is not of human origin. Human beings are in a bind that only God, only God can deal with. Only God is going to redeem and transform human beings. And God with, does, and this is the born of the Virgin Mary, do, does call for our consent in this. But we have to be very clear that we are not the initiators of this. This mystery we call the incarnation has its origin in God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary. And so there is this human element Jesus is fully human. And it's hard to appreciate this fact. And for a lot of us Protestants, we might feel 
um, uneasy when other parts of the Christian church around the world, uh, primarily our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, you might think they, or I might think you might think that they make too much of Mary. And certainly we could point to places in history and uh, places where we might think that certain types of Marian devotion have gone too far. And yet, think about what the text we just read says. Right? What does she say? What does it say? Right? You will be called blessed. Right? You will be called blessed. You have found favor with God. Right? And you will be called blessed. I mean, she, I mean, think about, we, we, we haven't said this recently, but this we've, we've announced, I announced, this was the year of vulnerability. Right? Think about this, right? We just talked about the, the timeless entering time and the, the one who cannot be constrained being willing to be confined and constrained within Mary's womb. Think about the vulnerability of God entering human life as an infant, fully human, needing to be nourished by Mary. Mary, Jesus' first consoler, Jesus' first nurse, Jesus' first teacher. Right? Mary. Right? Um, what all did, did God taking on human flesh learn from Mary? And Joseph too, for sure. And think of the risk, the vulnerability of God in that. Jesus has to grow in the flesh just like everybody else. And he does that from his parents, and particularly his mother. So Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now what does any of that have to do with us here on a beautiful October Sunday, 2,000 years later? Well, a couple things, just to state the obvious. That's, I'm a professor, that's what I get paid for, stating the obvious. Just to be reminded that, again, what we call prevenient grace, that God's grace is always ahead of us. And on the days when Whatever we find ourselves in, whether we're um, discouraged, despondent over the shape of the world and its utter brokenness, or we're despondent about our own brokenness, um, to know that God is ahead of us, <laughs> that God has set in motion this dynamic that a lot of days, for sure, it is hard to see how it is all playing out. But that God, I mean, we can imagine a God who 
in seeing even a compassionate God who in seeing the brokenness of the world took pity on us and maybe sent us a card with a few words of consolation. Like, I'm sorry, things are so hard for you. But that is not what we confess. We confess the, uh, really, the unthinkable, which is that God entered our world as one of us to set things to rights to undo what we couldn't undo, to redeem what we couldn't redeem, to restore what we couldn't restore, to reconcile what we couldn't reconcile, to forgive what we couldn't forgive. And yet, although it's true that God takes the initiative in that, God doesn't choose to do any of that apart from us. And that's the other staggering part of the miracle and the mystery. God waits for Mary's consent. So on the days when you are discouraged, when I am discouraged, remember this confession that God has come into the world to change everything, not standing aloof, but drawing near to us and calls us and promise to empower us with the Holy Spirit. Our world is broken. We need, recon we need divisions reconciled. God's not going to coerce us into reconciling with one another. That's not going to have any more possibility than you trying to, you know, those of you who've had parents and you've had children who are squabbling. I mean, you would like to be able to force them to reconcile. You can't. You can encourage them to. You can model what reconciliation looks like. You can send them to their room and tend to tell them not to come out until they've fixed it. But you can tell as soon as they walked out that, I mean, your coercive power doesn't make it happen. They either have to decide to make it happen or they don't. And the same thing here. God can't force us to reconcile. If I'm having trouble forgiving someone, God can't. God can't or won't force me to forgive someone else. Right? You can't. You can't do that. All God has done is God has extended the forgiveness made available in Jesus Christ to us. And the question is, will we consent to allow the forgiveness that we have received in Christ to extend to those who have wounded us? God's not asking you to forgive people in your own strength. God's not even asking you to offer your forgiveness, actually. God's asking you and me, are we willing to have this miracle? Right. 
Are you willing to have the forgiveness of God take flesh in you and be extended to other people? You have to consent to that. Right? You have to be willing, just like Mary was willing, to have something take root in her life, very literally. But the question is, will, will forgiveness flow through us? God has promised to empower us in the Spirit for that. But not apart from our consent. Not apart from our consent. God is trying to love the world. God so loved the world that God sent his only son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But that love will only reach the world if it finds a home in us. Right? If it's born, if that love is born in us and then born out through us to the world, only if we are willing partners to what God is doing. So that's what we're confessing when we talk about and we stand up and confess that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We're not just confessing something that happened 2,000 years ago that's a kind of an odd miracle. We don't really know how it happened. Um, we're actually talking about where we place our trust today. We place our trust in the God who is always the initiator, who always invites us to be at work with God, but who invites us to willingly participate. God is not twisting our arms. So the question is, do we have the courage this week to pray each morning? Gracious God, be alive in us today. Be alive in me today. May I, may I be an instrument of your work in the world just as Mary was in hers. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, we are humbled by this ancient story which we confess that you have drawn near to us by the power of your spirit and through the agency of a young woman who was the first one to say yes to Jesus. May we say yes to Jesus each day, letting his love and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation take root in our lives together, that we might bear witness and be agents of your work in the world. We pray this through the one through whom you have drawn most near to us and in whose face we see your face.
Jesus Christ.